Sergio, welcome back to Words on a Wire. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me back. I love being on this program. Well, you know, people in El Paso and, uh, well, people throughout the nation, I should say, love to have you on the show. Um, you're uh, uh, certainly an important figure. In fact, you know, I was, reading, I was looking at your book, and um, Luis Urrea says, and I quote, Sergio Troncoso is one of, the, one of our most brilliant minds in Latino literature. To, uh, to uh, quote uh, Saturday Night Live's uh, impression of Nicolas Cage, that's high praise. <laughs> I know. Luis <laughs> is such a, a tremendous writer himself, and so I'm honored he, he, li- he liked the book. Yeah, and it's a wonderful book. And, and it's, you know, it's true, you are you know, incredibly important for our community, our literary community, and not only that, but locally you're, you're important. And uh, so I'm glad to see you're coming out with a new book. What is this, the, the, the second time you've been on the show, the third time? Uh, I think it's probably the third time. Yeah, one was, uh, I forget what book it was. You come out with so many of them, but uh, congratulations on this book. Siempre trabajando, just like you. (laughs) Yeah, well, you got it, right? That's what we do. So you tweeted about this book. I I follow you on Twitter. You tweeted, is that that the correct verb? You tweeted or you tweeted? I think you tweeted it's good. I like that. Okay, you tweeted, you tweet... uh, uh, you 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 wrote, if you do read my book of linked stories on immigration, please use the table of contents as a guide. The stories are in groups for a reason and relate to each other within their groups. Uh, think of it as a cracked mirror. And then there were two other tweets to continue with that, but I think that that's kind of the gist of it. And when I had finished reading your book when I saw that tweet, and then I looked back, and only then did I notice that they are grouped there's spaces between the 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 thing so why why is the the book organized in this way well you know the, the first reason i tweeted that is because i really you know i think one of the duties of a writer is to teach readers how to read your book mm-hmm. and and so it is a, a map and it's something most people just flip right over table of contents don't pay attention to right it. right and 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 really um you know, one of the things I was trying to do uh, with this collection is take advantage of the short story form mm-hmm. and how it can create fragments um, in terms of the reader's uh, perspective and the characters that are, and characters can appear in different stories, yet they don't necessarily have to flow into each other. And so I'm taking advantage of the form to really give you different characters under different lights from different perspectives. So a character, let's say in a group of three stories, will appear one way in the first story, and then maybe either as another character in another story or simply be referenced by the main character in the second story, and you'll get a very different perspective Mm -hmm. on that same character you originally found in the first story. So it was for a purpose to do that. And, you know, sometimes people don't understand that. And I'm definitely, you know, uh, I quote Nietzsche at the very beginning, you know, the the godfather of perspectivism <laughs> in, in uh, you know, in, 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 in the, in, at the beginning of the book. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get readers to 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 think about how, what they invest in a character at the beginning and in a, in a way how a, a writer manipulates how they either see that character empathetically or in a way that's antagonistic. And and then think about, you know, have the reader reflect him or herself what she's adding to this software of reading. 
So it's it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to turn you, I would hope, by the end of the, the last grouping, into yourself to think about what you bring to a character uh, and sometimes how you bring a character to life, so to speak, um, you know, when, when you're reading my story. So it's, it has a lot of different um, things I'm doing with the book and some secret things I'm doing with the book, and which I have not told anyone. And I will things. not tell you. Come on. You know, you know, and you know why? Because I want people to read closely. Right, right. And that is really the heart of it all. That's why the table of contents arranged, are arranged in a certain way, and that's why there are secrets in the book. And those who read closely, those who pay attention, those who really go paragraph by paragraph by the book will get so much more out of it mm-hmm. than those who read quickly, than right. those who are used to Internet reading or, you know, um, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, kind of um, you know, experience with a book. So I'm hoping that, and and so my tweeting was like, you know, don't just take this book. People just say, well, oh, he's writing again about El Paso and immigration, and yes, that's true, but it's also much more than that. Right, right. Now you, that makes me wonder um, when you set out to write this book, as you alluded to before, a lot of these stories are linked. You have characters that reappear, you have themes that reappear, and of course, El Paso and New York reappear, um, New England. Um, you know, were you setting out to write a book, or did you write stories and then at a certain point say, oh, this is a book, and they're, they're connected? Well, I, I mean, it, I would say that since I would definitely call myself a Nietzschean, mm-hmm. um, in terms philosophically, you know, one of my graduate degrees is in You mean philosophy. you think God is dead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he says a lot more than that. But yeah, that's, I know. I'm you just... know, that's that's what <laughs> that's what's popular. Right. Um. But but and so I always thought, couldn't you know? Because one uh, one of Nietzsche's books is it's in fact several of Nietzsche's books are written in aphorisms, mm-hmm. and these are not story. These are not stories, but they're they're almost like many stories that are a couple of paragraphs long, or sometimes even just a long paragraph long. So I thought about creating a book that use that kind of mechanism to, um, to give the reader um, different perspectives on, on themselves and on how they mm-hmm. bring to the character. So I think I did have the sense of the whole of the book. And I, as I was writing stories throughout you know, many years, I thought, well, this will fit here, this will, will not fit here. So after I had most of the stories written, and some of the stories, probably a third or, or maybe even half have not been published, these were put in to, to fit that puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, to to complete the puzzle of perspectivism that I was trying to create in 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 the book, um, and also, of course, to to have that other agenda of writing about immigrants, writing about immigrants on the border, writing about immigrants leaving the border, writing writing about immigrants who leave home and are yearning for home. Because in my mind, ultimately, that's what perspectivism is about. Mm-hmm. That we are all, in a sense, lost. You know, we're we're looking for a home. We're looking for a place where we belong, and and we sometimes try different places, try different times, try different perspectives, try different people, to to fit somewhere, to you know find that home. And so it, it is part of you know certainly if you read Nietzsche a lot and other people who who did perspectivism, that that's at the root of it. This homelessness, in mm-hmm. a way that all of us uh, feel uh, sometimes very acutely in our lives, and sometimes we don't feel it at all. But, but it, you know, it, it, it eventually comes to you uh, if you think about it enough. Mm-hmm. 
the the first book uh, you published is called The Last Tortilla and Other Stories. I love that title, by the way. It's one of my favorites, The Last Tortilla. And I picked up that book, um, oh, I don't know, it's maybe 20 years ago when I first moved to El Paso. And uh, you had a pretty large following here. And they said, you got to read this book. you got to read this book. <laughs> and it won the Premio Atzlan, which, which is uh, always exciting. But that was the, the last time you wrote a book of stories. You've written right. novels. You've written essays. And I'm wondering... When you look back on that book and you look on this book, what what uh, what kind of differences are there? What 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 have you learned since the last tortilla? Well, I mean, the last tortilla was was more of a probably group of stories that I wrote that I later put together, you know, um, mm. you know, in a short story collection. So it wasn't sort of a, an envisioned as an entire book right. from the beginning, whereas this one is. So I think the first thing I learned is that. When you put together a book of stories, it's more than just putting 12 or 15 fragments together and just saying, this is a book. Right. That, that you create a whole from that book that's meaningful in some way or another, whether it's thematically or philosophically or psychologically or, or something like that. So, so I think that's the first thing I learned from the La Tortilla to a peculiar kind of immigrant son. And I, and I think the, the other thing is, I, I would hope that my writing got tighter, uh, <laughs> you know, got better. Right. Uh, maybe there are still some stories I love in the last tortilla, uh-huh. and and some I would not write that way again. Um, you know, and that, and that has probably happens to any writer. You know, when right. you go through twenty, thirty years of, of of writing, that you are experimenting, you're improving, you're 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 throwing things out, you're bringing things back in, whether it's on the paragraph level. Or on the sentence level, mm. or or with an entire story. I won't even read my first book. I I, I hide it <laughs> and don't tell anybody about it. Right. <laughs> well, you know, and that's the thing. We and that's that. By the way, that's perspectivism. Because right. who was Daniel Chacon 25 years ago, and is he the same Daniel Chacon now? Yeah. Right. And all of us go through that. You know, we Absolutely. were certain persons a while ago, and and we become different persons. We're still the same. Sergio Troncoso or Daniel Chacon, but we've, we're also different. Right, and physicists tell us that every seven years we are actually not even the same person, not even made up of the same molecules that we, we regenerate. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So I love what you said about um, uh, the connectedness in the stories because I think that's something a lot of people don't realize. Even, I would say, a lot of young writers don't realize that, that when you publish a collection of stories, it's a book. It's not just randomly, okay, I have enough for a book. Right. Um, but, but yeah, they're, you know, you, you want to make very, you know when certain stories do not belong. Right, right. And it, it, it's almost like creating an album. And, and oh, I, good, good, good. Yeah, you great know, creating Because it's musically, it almost has to be like a symphony right. of pieces put together. And, and I think that's one of the things. And, and the other thing is when you're a beginning writer, you're just desperately trying to get that first book in right. my mind, and you're just trying to get things together. Right. But then if you have some success and you're publishing and you get more confident and you say, you know what, I can create a whole from these fragments that itself would be really interesting that other, some maybe people have not done before. And so that, that was always sort of, you know, for a peculiar kind of immigrant son, that was for me my challenge, to do something I had not done before um, in terms of creating a whole lot of these stories that are, in a way, fragments, but they actually all fit together right. like a puzzle. Absolutely. You know, I remember uh, years ago when uh, my first book was about to come out, a writer who had a um, collection of stories, I won't say his name, um, 
because the collection wasn't that good. Uh, <laughs> he, he said to me, he "Say said, your name. Say the name." He, he says, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, right. I, I don't think he's listening, so I think we're okay. But um, he said to me, um, uh, "You should save some stories and just, you know, save some stories so that way you have uh, uh, stories towards the next book." And even though I was a new writer and it was my first collection, it just didn't sound like sound like like sage advice. Like somehow, you're not considering the shape. You're not considering the uh, you know the rising and the falling and the thematic links that uh, that maybe even surprise you when you're putting the book together. Exactly. You know, you're not considering the the overall song created by the book. Yeah, and I like your I like your analogy of an album. It makes me think of you know one of the best uh, you know rock bands uh, in terms of um, creating albums and not songs um, uh, was Pink Floyd. Exactly. Everything was so, you know, it was related and it deepened and, and one song uh, responded to another. And by the time you finished the album, and that's definitely what this what this book is like, a peculiar kind of immigrant son um, by Sergio Troncoso and published. I'm really happy about this by uh, Cinco Puntos Press. I, I, when I saw that you were coming out with a book by Cinco Puntos Press, I thought it's about time. Well, I love my experience with Cinco Puntos. Um, you know, they're from El Paso, and they really understand me and my sensibilities. And, and I think one of the things I love about, you know, Bobby Bird and Lee Bird, you know, uh, Jessica Powers and John Bird, you know, the whole group of Cinco Puntos is their aesthetic sensibility. Right. They really understand somebody who's from the border, somebody who may even have left the border. You know, I live in New York City, but I carry El Paso with me every day of my life. Right. It means something to me every day uh, of my life. And and I go back often, you know, I'll be back multiple times, but I think that sort of understanding was very unique and, and why I love uh, finding a home with Cinco Puntos. Right. And I just signed a contract. I'll be coming out with a novel uh, from them uh, in about a year. I heard about that. And is so, that novel already written or are you still working on it? It's already written. I'm, you know, on multiple rewrites. Wow, and Lee Bird is an amazing editor. Yeah, and so yeah, and, it, and it's and it's a combo of her and and you know and Jessica Powers, right. you know, and other people who really help, you know, you and push you really to to refine your work, yeah. and and so I'm I'm grateful to them, and 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 frankly, I hope uh, you know they they. They have uh, a lot of success in their publishing house. Yeah, yeah, I think they will. They're coming out with some great books, uh, and um, uh, and this is this is one of them. And let's talk about let's go into the book a little bit. Okay, what makes this immigrant son, um, who you know maybe the character Carlos, who comes comes back, who uh, was from El Paso, went to be educated in the on the East Coast in a prestigious university like another writer I know. Um, what makes what makes this immigrant son so peculiar? Well, you know, because, and, and the, the phrase comes from the first story. The first story is called Rosary on the Border. Mm -hmm. And this protagonist is David Calderon, and he's, he's going back to El Paso, you know, for his father's funeral. And so he's having remembrances of, of how he, he basically dealing with his father, who's very difficult for him, and his mother in part too, but mostly the, the relationship mm -hmm. issues and problems have been with his father. And so he's going back and forth through time as he's, you know, going to the, 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 the funeral of his father and what it meant to him and what he, he meant to him. And so it, it's about 
you know, remembering how he didn't fit in, how yet he was from the border, yet he didn't quite fit in. And he didn't quite fit in when he went to New York or mm-hmm. when, when he went to Boston, because David Calderon ends up in Boston. And so it is sort of an unease with place. And, and, and it, you know, you would think, well, it's because he left El Paso, but it probably was already in him. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have mattered if he was growing up in Topeka. You know, it was already in him to be unsettled about place. And so uh, it just became to the forefront of his mind when he moved to Boston. And then his parents came up, and and, and the only time they came up to, to visit David was when he graduated. So for four years, he was by himself. Mm-hmm. He was at this high-powered university, and, and, and he was alone to survive or, or think on, you know, by himself. And, and so it's, it's part of that generational issue of not fitting in, um, not really accepting, or accepting in peace only some of the things your parents gave you. Uh, and in, in this case, the, the character has Mexican parents from Juarez mm-hmm. and, and what they taught him and some things he loved about them and other things he hated about them. And, and he, he wanted to resist, you know, what, um, some things that they, they that they taught him, and so it's it's this uh, unease with with fitting in mm-hmm. that that is peculiar about him. You know, um, a, a lot of, a lot of what you write, and not only in this book, but in uh, in a lot of your essays, and really your literary identity is about, in a sense, coming home to El Paso. You always come home, uh, and I'm wondering. Well, the first time when you went off to Harvard and probably hadn't been out of El Paso all your life, and suddenly you're on the East Coast, you know, in a completely different uh, uh, intellectual uh, culture, I guess you can say. Coming back to El Paso the first time must have been quite an experience, quite an eye-opening experience. But, but you've been coming back to El Paso now for many, many years. I mean, you don't live here, but I see you a lot because you do come home a lot. And I'm wondering what's the difference between coming home then and coming home now like you, like you often do. Well, I mean, the, 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 the biggest difference is when I would come home, let's say out of college and I was at Harvard, it was coming home to things I understood, the mm-hmm. things that made me comfortable. Um, and, and part of it was also trying to understand what happened, trying to understand I, I grew up poor, you know, in Isleta, and then I'm here in, at Harvard, you know, studying. And, and so the incongruity, like what happened to me? And, and, so, and then so over time, once I understood what happened to me, I started you know, basically the stuff I would read in, at Harvard and at Yale, you know, and, you know, where, where I teach at the Yale Writers Workshop, I, I started seeing why aren't the stories, um, the, the things that are important to people from El Paso, from the border, why aren't they here? Why aren't they, you know, in the libraries at Yale, at Harvard? Why aren't they um, being discussed as important things in literature? And so at, at the beginning it was simply, I'm glad I'm home. And I, this is what I understand. And then later, over time, over over years, it's like it's being ignored, it's being right. overlooked, it's being uh, you know. And 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 some of the most important people that certainly that taught me who I was was like my abuelita and my parents and the friends I had in Isleta, and these were just as important as some of the things I would be reading, you know, in the stacks of Yale and Harvard libraries. Right. Uh, and and they weren't there, and so so at a certain point it, it got me angry. 
<laughs> and it and it started forcing me to say I, I should be doing this work to get these things on the on the shelves i should be writing these stories that are not there so i think that's kind of how it morphed over time mm-hmm. you know from first just kind of comfort and and being happy to be back home to then understanding why is this place being ignored mm-hmm. why is this place being stereotyped and that that's not el paso and of course it happens now you know um you know when when our president calls it a violent city and we know that it's not mm-hmm. and and when people do not visit the border and yet stereotype it and say x y you know mexican immigrants and mexican americans mm-hmm. are x y z and they're not like that they're you know they're a variety of things and 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 so it's sort of a, a a quest that many of our you know fellow writers have which is to give voice to the people that you came back to and you understand very well yet you know you may not live there but you understand them better than most people do mm-hmm. and you can give voice to them right which is um why when um that uh that horrible incident happened here at the Walmart uh not too long ago um CNN published an essay by you about <laughs> El Paso because yeah. you, you are you are you know you know El Paso you are, you are in many ways the literary voice of El Paso well you, you you know it was important for me and I had to write that literally like uh, a day or two after mm-hmm. uh it happened but I dropped everything. In fact, I dropped the rewrite of the novel that I was in the middle of doing with Cinco right. Pulso because this was too important. You know, I, I had to at least say the piece about what I thought uh, El Paso has meant and, and how this violence, you know, was some guy who drove seven hours from Plano to, 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 to kill Mexican-Americans and Mexicans because he had a stereotypical view of, of, of them. Mm-hmm. And and a, a violently stereotypical view of them, and so you know, for me it was important. You know, if I'm going to be a writer, that's really the my. If I if I'm not doing that, a CNN piece like that, then I, I'm worthless in my mind. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, it was important to, to you know to and they you know the opportunity was there. CNN called me and they said, "Can you do this like immediately?" And I said, "Sure, I'll do it immediately." And so, uh, you know, it was it meant more than just the piece for me. It was. You know, this is El Paso. This is how El Paso has always been. You know, this is the values of Mexican immigrants in El Paso. And my family was like this. And it matters that people see this so that we don't have a repeat of what happened, you know, at the Walmart, you know, next to Cielo Vista, because that was such a horrific thing to, to happen, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, that's, that, that was like the real purpose of being a writer. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm talking to Sergio Troncoso, um, whose new book is called A Peculiar Kind of Immigrant Son. There are stories, interconnected stories. You were talking about uh, the first time you came back to El Paso and how things were just so familiar. You were coming back to something familiar. And, uh, and perhaps that perspective never changes. I mean, it's always going to be familiar to you. But I remember when I I, I'd lived in California all my life, mostly Fresno, and I didn't leave the state until graduate school, where I went to the University of Oregon. And I, it was in Eugene, which is a you know town of maybe about eighty thousand. I don't remember the exact uh, uh, population, but it was um, they had a Hispanic neighborhood there, and they kept telling me you got to go to the Hispanic neighborhood. Turns out there seven percent of the population of that neighborhood <laughs> were Hispanic, but to them that was you know that was quite. Uh, quite a lot, but I remember coming back to California the first time, to Fresno, I was in Stockton, 
and I'm looking around thinking, man, there's a lot of Mexicans here. <laughs> and now I go back to Fresno, <laughs> having lived in El Paso, and I say, where's the Mexicans? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, but your perspective, you live in New York City, so I imagine you probably... Do you notice the lack of diversity? I mean, do you, you know, people think of El Paso as diverse, and it is to a certain extent, but New York City, my God, you probably hear 20 languages on the way to the subway. You do, and that's, you know, this is another thing I had to get used to. You know, you know there are neighbors, you know, New York is 35% Jewish and about 30%, you know, African-American, and and then the uh, the other is sort of a mixture of everything from Irish to you know, English to Italian. Um, so it is, a, you know, it is sort of a, a diverse community. But, you know, El Paso has its own diversity oh, in a yeah, way. And, and, and one of the things I've noticed coming back is how big it's gotten. Yeah. You know, the traffic jams, my gosh. Oh, you know, I don't, remember, about <laughs> I don't remember the traffic jams in El Paso, but gosh, every time I go back, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on I-10 and it's not moving. And yeah. I said, I do not remember this happening in high school. Uh, um, and so that's what, and it's gotten more a more sophisticated city. You know, it's eight hundred thousand now, or more or less, and it was probably about two hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred thousand when I left. So, so it's it's taken sort of remarkable leaps in terms of size, and and you know, and I noticed that. But I've been to even like the Jewish food festival in El Paso, and mm-hmm. I've been to you know visited um, you know different places that I would never have gone. I really spent most of my time in Isleta. But mm-hmm. I love going back to Isleta and, you know, okay. La Tapatia and, you know, the places that I know right. and that I'm familiar with. But it, it's, it's, uh, it's like sort of a world of Mexicanos. Okay, random question. When you come back to El Paso and you go out to eat, where's the place that you have to go? I have to go to La Tapatia. I'm telling you. La Tapatia <laughs> in Isleta. Absolutely. I've never been the there. Chile rellenos burritos. Oh, my God. I mean, there to die for the gorditas. <laughs> uh-huh. I, mean, I mean, of course, la tamale, los tamales, pero, you know, and for me, los tamales de raja, you know, the right. the, the ones that are not pork, uh, that are cheese and chili. Oh, oh my man. God. I okay. die for them. Because, you know, the All Mexican right. food is just not at that level here in New York right, City. I'm no. sorry. Yeah, no, definitely. Um uh, Sergio, um, let's let's get back to the book. I wanted to ask you something about that story, sure. New Englander, which also is uh, David is the main character. He's the the same one who comes home for a funeral. Um, and the 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 line the, the 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 story begins with David smashed the sledgehammer onto the logs from his woodpile. The logs feel like small torsos, which is really a beautiful yet kind of tense image, you know. Uh, and it kind of foretells. Um, uh, uh, the violence that's going to happen in this story, and it was a very compelling story. He's on his his land, and and somebody invades it pretty much, and exactly. and, and and beats him, and and he survives. But but I'm, you know, I, I I hate to ask writers, you know, what came first, the metaphor or the story, but I can't help but to know or to understand that this is a really kind of a beautiful metaphor for the immigrant experience in New England. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, this is almost turning the tables. You know, this is David Calderon leaving El Paso and staking his claim in Connecticut, in New England, in this forestry, you know, beautiful area. And someone who, you know, uh, un huero, who's, you know, comes in and attempts to take it from him. Right. 
You know, so, so the tables are turned in a way. You know, he is, a, you know, David Calderon is a successful immigrant, is the one who has found his place and is identifying with the land there, having left El Paso. Right. And then somebody who, a townie, somebody who's, you know, uh, you know a, a somewhat of a, a, a derelict, is attempting to st- take take it away from him. So I think it's it's that, that thing about defending, you know, who you are, defending, um, you know, yourself when you're under the gun, and, and, and you can use what you learned, let's say, in Isleta, you know, <laughs> right. and, and yeah. how to no, fight I totally back. Get it. Yeah. Um, even if you're in Connecticut in the forest, and you remember, that's who I was, that's who I still am, and I'm going to fight back. Your street kicks in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so, so it's about the tables being turned, you know, about immigrants, you know, finding their place, and their place, you know, people want to take it away from them. People want to take away the hard work. They want right. to take away the, the land that they have. They want to take away that now they're actually in a way higher than some of the, the, some of the people who are angry at them, you know. So, um, so what came first, the story or the metaphor? Well, it's hard to, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of very instinctual. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I, wish, I wish I could go back in time and tell you exactly what, what came first. Yeah. You know, well, well, you know, personally, I'm going to answer the question for you. To me, the story seems so organic that I'm thinking the story came first and it was full of metaphorical possibility. I think it was. <laughs> I mean, I think that you're probably right, because for me, it's always about the story. Absolutely. It's always about the story. And, and I dream about my stories, you know, and that, that's a story I dreamt about. Oh, my God, um, no way. You know, that I was, you know, because I, I, I have this little place, uh, a weekend house in Connecticut, right. and there are bear and there are deer, and you're vulnerable. Right. You know, somebody comes in, there's nobody to turn to. You're right. literally by yourself. It's in a way kind of like pioneer living. Uh-huh. In a way, uh, there's just forest and, and, and right. nothing around you, deer, bear. Um, and, and so you have to, you know, learn to survive in that environment. And so I, it's a kind of rural environment that I used to kind of grow up in Isleta, although that was more like the desert, but this is the forest. And, and so anyway, so I think, you know, I dreamt about that story, um, several times and I kept writing notes and then I kind of pieced it together and I said, this is the story that, that, um. That, that that should happen. And by the way, that story first appeared in the Packing House Review. Oh, in uh, Visalia, in, I believe. In Fresno. Yeah. Well, well, oh, it, Visalia, I think, is where. Right. It, at least it used to. But yeah, that's a wonderful journal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, it's changed. I changed the story from what it had first appeared, but it's the gist of that story right. appeared appeared there. And uh, speaking about dreaming stories, you really uh, uh, shocked me with the, the the last story, Eternal Return, <laughs> which. Which, uh, by the way, is in its own uh, uh, um, its own section. It's this is a story on itself. But but uh, Vendo, who is uh, like David, he's returning from the East Coast, but he's returning to a house that's haunted by his grandmother. And right. there's interaction with ghosts. And then the grandmother gives him this chocolate, and he's Carlos Castaneda like going all over the right. place. This is this is kind of a different story for you. Absolutely, it was you know it it, it was going through time and perspective. Being here as he's talking to his dead grandmother, which of course is impossible, right. and 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 going back in time, yet going forward, trying to understand who he was and could be, 
it's almost as if, you know, um, you know, Santa Cisneros to, uh, wrote to me and said, this is sort of going back to your ancestors Absolutely. who live, who live yes. inside of you, yeah, yeah. you know, at all moments of your time. And so, so, so it's, it is a different story for me. And, uh, you know, it was purposeful for me to create things that are on, in a way familiar, but also pushing myself as a writer to do things that are, that are different. And right. so, um, it you know it's not necessarily magical realism, but but it's sort of a, a, a maybe a version of that right, in a way. Right. Well, but it's more it's more philosophically informed than anything else right. because of what, by the way it, it refers back to Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Well, Etern- it, with, with Sergio, Richard. everything goes back to Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> Many things, anything. Yes, yes. Well, uh, Sergio, thank you so much for joining us once again on Words on a Wire. I. Um, I, I wish you the best on this this collection. It's a fantastic collection, and um, uh, when you that novel comes out, come back to the show again. Again, Daniel, <laughs> you are such a gracious host, and I think El Paso is lucky to have you there every day. Oh, thank you, Sergio. I really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us on Words on a Wire. <laughs>